This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's good to see the truth starting to trickle out, not just about the Lab League theory, but also about Dr. Fauci himself, a conniving, sniveling, on the one hand, on the other hand, both side of his mouth talking Democrat. That's who Dr. Fauci is. That's what we've been subjected to for over a year. And finally, people understand why I have found this guy to be such an odious little lab coat tyrant. And the more we dig into this and hear his babbling, nonsensical explanations, the more clear it is some of us were right all along. We knew who the doctor was. But I'll I'll dive more into this in a moment. I want to make sure that you are protecting your online privacy because true online privacy is actually a thing of the past now. Your online data always seems to be under the magnifying glass by big tech. There's anxiety of not having control of your online data while it's being manipulated and sold to advertisers. But now there's a new way with the ultimate privacy and cybersecurity communications tool in your hands. Introducing Secure, an instant messaging and email platform hosted in Switzerland, protecting your data with the strictest privacy laws in the world. Secure is spelled S-E-K-U-R and uses proprietary encryption technologies, an independent platform, and Swiss privacy laws to ensure complete privacy and security of your data on desktop and in transit. This is secure and private instant messaging and email. It assures your conversations, messages, and data are kept completely safe and private. Secure does not mine your data and is not subjected to the Cloud Act. Take back your freedom, privacy, and online security with Secure by going to Secure, that's S-E-K-U-R dot com. Spelling is very important here. Secure, S-E-K-U-R dot com. Make sure you use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Use that coupon code BUCK. Go to Secure, S-E-K-U-R dot com. Regain your privacy online for your data for your emails. Is it because China is so opaque? Is it because WHO is not sharing information? Why is this so difficult? There are several reasons, Willie, why it's difficult. I think one of the things is that we need better access to all the information. I mean, it's obviously in China's interest to find out exactly what it is. And the is of the of the natural theory would be to find that link. So you have to keep looking for it. I mean, obviously you want openness and cooperation. One of the ways you can get it is don't be accusatory. Try to get both a forensic, a scientific, and an investigational approach. I think the accusatory part about it is only going to get them to pull back even more. We've got to do it in a combination of diplomacy, scientific, forensic investigation, and do it in a way that the people of good faith, not who want to do blame, but people in good faith are really trying to find out what the origin is. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, um, I don't even want to describe it, a lot of pointing of fingers and things like that. Keep an open mind and go after the truth. Go after the truth, he says, as if the Chinese Communist Party could give a Fauci about the truth. Give me a break, friends. This is absurd, absurd. But 
He's a bureaucrat. He's a Democrat. He's a collectivist. And he does not want people to start asking questions. That's been the case all along. Don't you see the pattern here? There's a very clear theme. Dr. Anthony Fauci has no interest whatsoever in being questioned. He is interested in giving pronouncements. And the moment anybody has a a second of doubt, he just falls back on the science. As if that explains the whole situation. As if there's no doubt in science. This whole process, the scientific method, inquiry based upon fact and reason and experiment and data has been corrupted during this pandemic by bureaucrats acting as monarchs, telling us what we can and cannot do, where we can and can't go, who we can see, how we can live, how we can breathe. And now, finally, we're seeing yet another instance of how the Fauciites were wrong, and worse than being wrong, they faked certainty and lied, lied to the public about the degree of their knowledge and and how right they were. Fauci won't criticize China. Why? Because he's somebody who believes that the scientific community is effectively a global government of sorts. The scientific community has the say in this. They determine, not even your own government determines, they determine the expert consensus what happens in the midst of a global pandemic. And they are beyond reproach. In fact, they are above criticism. Because that's how important they are, how right, how smart, brilliant even, the Fauci-eyed consensus makers are. They were wrong on pretty much everything, friends. Everything. They were wrong on masks by their own admission, because at least at first they said masks are dumb and don't protect you. Cloth masks are a joke, essentially. And then they changed on that. So they were definitely wrong. It's just a question of how many times they were wrong about school closures. They were wrong about the effects of lockdowns. They were wrong about expanding 14 days to slow the spread to 14 months, basically, to slow the spread. The whole thing was a debacle. And the very origins of the story itself, as you see, were rife with lies and fraud and the instinct to suppress, to shut down free inquiry and to pretend that this was effectively a settled issue. They love this notion of the settled science. But what we see is that the same apparatus of suppression that insisted the lab leak theory was a conspiracy uh, theory, uh, have spent over a year shutting down honest debate about masks and lockdown effectiveness. What's the lesson we take from this? Authoritarian censorship is a bad idea, even when its proponents wear lab coats. It's essential. And what we're also taking from this is that Fauci was a bigger fraud as pandemic hero than Cuomo or Newsom or any of the idiot Democrat governors who thought that by basically telling you to lock yourself in a closet and wrap five plastic bags around your head because of the virus, the science. They were heroes for that. But we know that they're morons. Fauci was supposed to be better than that. Give it time. Everybody will see the truth, though some will never accept it. Fauci is 
awful. Fauci is the worst of all the people that abused the public's mind, of all the people that created mass panic and anxiety unnecessarily. None, none were as uh, pervasive as the constant presence on your TV screen, the constantly quoted in the media, Dr. Fauci. How many little lab coat authoritarians work at the NIH? How many work at the CDC? A lot. So why is it the only one you've really heard of or the only one you've ever seen is this little Anthony Fauci character? Uh, Because he was elevated into something much more than just a bureaucrat who's supposed to be reporting on numbers and advising politicians. He became a symbol, a symbol for the lockdowners, a saint of sorts, although I'm sure that many of the people we're talking about here object to the very notion of saints. He was elevated as the, the great king of the lockdowners. And now we see that it was all a mess, a fraud. These emails are exposing more and more of who Dr. Fauci really is. And now people are talking about a cover up. Now you are seeing that there was gain of function research being done. That this is a real thing, that it's not a conspiracy theory, and that there were only, and this is according to a piece in Vanity Fair, three places in the world. One, I believe, in Houston, one in uh, the Carolinas, and one in China, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that were doing the kind of research on bat coronaviruses that could have led to an outbreak. And we find out that while in the early days of this pandemic, we were told that it was a biosafety level four facility, right? The highest. In fact, the Wuhan Institute of Virology had several wings that were about a dentist office level of uh, viral protection and viral safety protocols, virus uh, protocols. That's important for us to know, isn't it? That's important for us to see. And yet that information was hidden. The bureaucrats in the global health bureaucracy, these are really just U.N. people in lab coats. That really makes it clear, right? These are U.N. bureaucrats who work for, you know, whether it's the World Health Organization or even our own CDC. They are collectivist bureaucrats, and they knew they had to do a lot of what we call CYA. The young ones in the audience, you can ask your parents to explain that one to you. I can't. I don't want to say that one on the air. CYA, cover your something. That's what they were doing. Make sure the public couldn't figure out the real origins of this virus and to think that it came from a a bat and then there was an intermediary species. Okay, maybe that's still true, but they certainly did not know that to be true, and they pretended they did because they didn't even want the possibility to be out there that this came from research that was funded in part by U.S. dollars. If you give money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you are funding the Wuhan Institute. That money is going into the pockets of the people making decisions there. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Money is fungible. Right. It doesn't really matter if you were funding directly that research or something else. You know, I, I would not give money to Planned Parenthood 
even though they say that they you know, send people for outsourced uh, mammograms or something, right? Because I don't want to fund Planned Parenthood. I think it should be defunded. Whole other conversation. But they funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology through a third party. U.S. dollars went to somebody, uh, Peter Dazjak. This guy very involved in the early days of the messaging campaign around all this. And it starts to stink to high heavens, friends. It smells like cover up. It smells like information operation, not just against the American people, against the world. Think of what the implications are here. Yes, for the Chinese Communist Party, but for the global scientific community. Think about what this would mean. A lot of people will go to pretty extreme lengths to make sure that the truth about this is whatever they want it to be. Our perception of truth is whatever they decide it must be. Can't you see how Fauci was doing just that in the early days? The emails paint a disturbing picture, a disturbing picture of Dr. Fauci from the very beginning, worrying that he had been funding gain of function research. And he knows it to this day, but hasn't admitted. We have to get uh, Democrat counterparts that will actually use the committee hearings to investigate this. But so far, it's been such a partisan support for Dr. Fauci that he can do no wrong. But really, there's a lot of evidence that he has a great deal of conflict of interest and that if it turns out this virus came from the Wuhan lab, which it looks like it did, that there's a great deal of culpability in that he was a big supporter of the funding, but he also was a big supporter to this day of saying we can trust the Chinese on this. We can trust the Chinese scientists. And I think that's quite naive and really should preclude him from the position that he's in. Senator Rand Paul has been correct time and again, and Dr. Fauci has been wrong over and over again. That's the conclusion we should all draw from what has happened. Over the course of this pandemic, that's what the facts actually show us. Concern about gain of function research funding. Now, I understand there will be people who say, well, it's it was an accident. Even even if U.S. taxpayer dollars were used at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and specifically allowed for and it was only six hundred thousand dollars, but allowed for some greater degree of. Uh, gain of function research they'll say well it was an accident and I'd, I'd point out okay would we have listened to the global health bureaucracy about this would anybody have wanted to hear a damn thing that the little lab coat tyrant Fauci had to say the Stalinist smurf of the NIH would anybody have wanted to listen to a thing he had to say about this if we had known that we were only dealing with the virus in the first place because of global health community bureaucrat collaboration funded in part by U.S. taxpayer dollars. Think about this. If Fauci appeared on TV every night, wear your mask, lice all your groceries, you know, we're going we're gonna to hit a surge and then a plateau and then a surge and then maybe another plateau. You know, would, would you have listened to this guy? Would you have wanted to hear what he had to say at all? If you had known that he and his bureaucracy were involved in funding the kind of research that led to this outbreak in the first place, I think the answer is no. I think we all would have been saying, what the heck is going on here? And now you're going to put yourself in this high and mighty position of telling us all 
all of us in America, how to live our lives down to minute details. Can you hug your relatives? Can you go out into a public playground? That's the kind of stuff that the Fauciites were making determinations about. And yet the very beginnings of this virus, not only were they trying to hide it from us, but they also may have been covering up some degree of complicity in the outbreak in the first place. That is stunning, isn't it? Well, it's stunning to normal people, to people that think that wearing three masks while they go jogging alone, even after being vaccinated, uh, is is a mark of, of intelligence instead of the exact opposite of that. Fauci is someone that they will they'll never give up that he was he was great. They'll, they'll never admit that this guy was a fraud, because what would that say about their judgment? I mean, what would it say about Nicole Wallace's intelligence over at MSNBC? Well, does anybody really have any questions about that? Here's what she says about Dr. Fauci's emails. Here's her take on it. Play 10. And that's what I was trying to do is to always tell the truth on the basis of what the data is. And it was never deliberately something against the president. In fact, you spoke about my emails. If you look at my emails, I never in the email said anything derogatory about President Trump. Well, the true mark of someone is if they look good, even when their personal emails come out. So you, you pass the test that very few of us would, would pass. Oh, my gosh, Dr. Fauci, you're just so amazing. Oh, my gosh, you're so amazing. You're just like like our superhero fighting the virus. It's like so good. Unbelievable. Oh, did did Fauci really uh, did he did he really tell the truth in the beginning? What is it about this guy that that makes libs all sit around and just and just gleam with uh, with with pride, with uh, they really look at this guy as though he's like the dad they never had or maybe the grandpa they never had. And I, I just don't get it. I can't imagine going through life thinking that this this guy who's been working for a health bureaucracy for so many decades. Have any of these people ever showed up at a public hospital? Have they ever dealt with, you know, the bureaucrats who are making decisions in these places? You really, you really think they're they're heroes and they always have your best interests at heart? Oh, man, I a lot a lot of cost cutting measures, a lot of, you know, go wait in the emergency room for eight hours while you're bleeding. Uh, you know, sorry, too bad. Uh, but they they believe that Dr. Fauci was a necessary a, a savior, actually, in all of this. He has been elevated to religious icon status. And he is a tiny golden calf. Oh, and the little golden calf, when he would bleat, often said the wrong thing. But there were things he wouldn't say either, which I think is so interesting. You'll recall that he he is he is now claiming that he had no problem with Trump. He was never an issue for the White House. It was never political for him. The former White House chief of staff under President Trump, Mark Meadows, brought this up recently. This was somebody who was working with and dealing with Fauci every day. Here he is. Play nine. 
Well, I can tell you that what needs to happen is uh, Ranking Member Jordan and his Senate counterparts need to have another hearing where they actually bring back in Dr. Fauci to look at some of these key questions. Part of the troubling thing that we're seeing with these emails that are coming out is not only do they seem to correspond with what President Trump said and what Secretary Pompeo uh, said in terms of the origins of the virus, but it indicates that Dr. Fauci had knowledge or at least the suspicion of things not uh, happening in an evolutionary manner very early on. And he didn't share that with the task force. That's very troubling and something that we do need to get to the bottom of. Why wouldn't he share that suspicion with the task force? Gee, I wonder why. If you listen to this show, you're somebody who likes real questions asked and you want real answers. That has been The opposite of what we've gotten from 95% of the corporate media in this country, of all media in this country, they have just been little parrots, squawk, squawk, parrots of the consensus. Ah, Fauci want a cracker. That's right. Fauci does want a cracker. Well, you know what I mean. Fauci, he's just always looking for a pat on the head, always looking for someone to tell him how great he is. Vanity, friends, from the lab coat tyrant was a major component of the the information operation that the American people were subjected to for the last 15, 16 months. That is what has really gone on here. Now that we've hit the unofficial kickoff to summer, the months ahead are always a great reminder of how lucky we are to be Americans. From time with friends and family, backyard barbecues, road trips, ball games, hitting the beach or the lake, you name it. It's also a great time to show how proud we are to be Americans. And part of the way we do that is by flying the American flag in front of our homes. And not just any American flag. I recommend one that you can rest assured won't tangle around a pole or get mildewed, torn, or shredded quickly. That's why you have to check out my friends at Allegiance Flag Supply. They make the highest quality American flags and accessories. And by the way, they do it right here in America. Go to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. Check out not just the options they have for your home, but for any of you boat owners out there, but for any of you boat owners out there getting ready to put the boat back on the lake this weekend, they have everything you need for your boat or dock. Again, go to showallegiance.com. That website is showallegiance.com. And enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order and get yours in time for Flag Day on June 14th. That's showallegiance.com. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. And let's fly the American flag with pride everywhere this summer. Make sure it's the right kind of flag, the one that won't get torn, mildewed, or tangled up. Showallegiance.com. Use promo code BUCK for 10% off. Let's get into a deep dive here about the possible cover up of the origins of COVID-19 and where we stand with the lab leak thesis. No longer right to call this a conspiracy theory. It was never right to call it a conspiracy theory. Our friend Jordan Schachtel, who's an investigative journalist, is with us right now. He has been a critic of Fauci, of lockdowns, of masks all along. So we greatly appreciate him for that. Jordan, people should uh, support your work on this. Where do they go? You can find me at dossier.substack.com. Now tell us, tell us what's, what is most striking to you 
uh, about where we stand right now with the release of these emails. What What is important for everybody to take away from this? There's a lot of emails out there from Dr. Fauci. Yeah, because the lab leak stuff and the gain-of-function stuff has been in the news so much, it was interesting to see the sense of urgency coming from the upper echelons of the U.S. government health bureaucracy with the National Institutes of Health and then uh, Fauci's NIAID. Whenever this issue came up, it seemed like they wanted to have an immediate phone call, um, whether it was with uh, you know, supposed journalists in the corporate press or you had Fauci's top colleagues and executives. And what, what seems like they weren't dismissing the, the lab leak thesis whatsoever. They were just trying to seemingly coordinate their messaging over the lab leak thesis. And then, you know, around the same time frame, what was interesting is that Fauci um, had publications out and his colleagues had public, public, publications um, completely dismissing lab leak as if this was not even a possibility. But the email said a very different thing. So what do you what does the evidence tell us right now about what's what's most likely to have occurred here and also the degree of of culpability of the of the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Where does the the data to borrow from Fauci point us right now? It seems that it's not only the Wuhan Institute of Virology and, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, but there's also a significant um, piece that's missing with um, concerning the U.S. government's health institutions' collaboration and funding of these agencies, and you know whether or not it happened um, with the endorsement of a particular presidential administration remains pretty much unknown. You know this gain of function stuff is so weird because they put a pause to it and then they resumed it, and then they were talking about you know these these bat viruses, and it, it was it's just very strange that the timeline. That, that you see here. And it, and it just leads to a lot more questions about what exactly was going on there on the U.S. side of things, because I think we're never going to get the answers from the Chinese communists. You know, they're never going to tell us directly uh, the, the truth of the matter. But we do have other you know, processes in the United States, which we can at least hold these bureaucrats to account. How do you think we can get accountability here, Jordan? I mean, you know, Fauci is running around saying, let's not point fingers at China. And now people are saying, well, it's not just China we're concerned about here, buddy. There's some that are saying that he he has misled to the point of perhaps even perjuring himself when he's talked before Congress. What, what do you think the accountability mechanisms can do here? And, and how, how do we go forward, given what we found out? That's the interesting thing. And I think all the signs are pointing to uh, an early, not an early retirement for Fauci, because he's been a government bureaucrat for an amazing 56 years. But there has to be some kind of accountability mechanisms. You can hope that, um, you know, at least GOP legislators can really push this issue hard and hopefully find at least some purple state Dems to agree to attempt to hold these people accountable, start holding hearings, start asking these people under oath, you know, what they meant when they were talking about these emails. And of course, these emails were under Freedom of Information Act. So hopefully, um, you know, these these people that represent us in Congress can get additional emails uh, about this issue and and continue to you know do what they can to get more information to the public. But the last thing I want right now, actually, even though I've been uh, you know trying to get Fauci sidelined and to retire for for eighteen months because of his gross incompetence, I, I think Fauci especially needs to be held accountable. 
What do you think are the what are the the greatest sins uh, that Fauci has created here? There's so many things. Um, It it seems the common theme in the in the emails was that Fauci was trying to protect the bureaucracy from any critiques or even just he wanted to project this sense onto the nation that he was kind of like this all knowing scientist, you know, this the foremost infectious disease expert that we kept hearing the corporate press echoing and over again to try to sell that, you know, the U.S. response to COVID-19 was based on science, whether it was social distancing, masks, uh, all these closures. And the reality was that there was never any evidence for any of this stuff. But Fauci was more, um, you know, as a as a really as a politician, he understood the power of crafting a narrative that works and he used the media to his benefit to craft these narratives but largely every single thing um it seemed every single thing was a lie uh, and it was based it was based on nothing you know this six foot social distancing and a lot of us you know you included especially have been saying this for a while like where's the evidence i'm not relying on fauci's credentials where's the evidence and, you know, the emails kind of go to show that they didn't really they were really too concerned with evidence. They were just more concerned with being in a position of authority. It seems to me, Jordan, that that a lot of this is was pushed by we pay, we have these, you know, large, expensive, cumbersome health bureaucracies here in America and a lot of places around the world. And and here we are. This was the their moment, so to speak. Right. This is what we have them for. And really, at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, if they had told us the truth, it was going to be we don't really know how to stop this from spreading. A lot of you are going to get it and it's going to take us at least a year to get a vaccine out there and and start getting to people's arms. So do your best. I mean, that was actually where they were. But they came up with this whole framework of mask, six foot of six feet of distancing, Lysol, your groceries, uh, you know, all all these things were being told. It's, it feels like they just came up with a plan so they could have a plan. Yeah, it, it seemed like they came up with a plan so they could be seen and perceived as doing something, uh, you know, morally and scientifically appropriate. And for Fauci, it paid off. Like Fauci won a one million dollar prize. He got a book deal. He had a Disney crew following him around shooting a documentary. I don't even know if the White House knew about that, which is kind of fascinating. But uh, Fauci, he, he won the battle for, um, you know, public uh, per, uh, public perception. The problem was just that the science wasn't on his side and he ended up screwing over, uh, you know, the entire country. And, and I think his decisions um, impacted not only the United States, but the entire world who looked to him for guidance. And he was really basically, you know, the equivalent of a quack, uh, quack doctor the entire time. We're speaking to Jordan Schachtel, investigative journalist who's been covering uh, COVID from, I mean, I I think I would say a contrarian perspective is fair. uh, And I've been doing the same thing, Jordan, because to go against the consensus in any way, you're considered some kind of, you know, radical contrarian on all this stuff. So I, I have to wonder, what is the the role of Peter Dajak. I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but this guy Peter Dajak and all this, who was the the one who directed some of the funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What do we know about this guy? Yeah, so it seems like he was running some kind of like middleman operation between the U.S. government. He actually, I've never interacted with this guy on social media and he's blocked me on like every single platform. So it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. 
but uh, he seemed to be the intermediary between the Chinese communists and, and the U.S. Uh, health bureaucracy, especially when it came to like funding this kind of, this sketchy research. They preferred not to do it directly. So he was like this like black market type situation, NGO, uh, very sketchy. There, there's so much sketchy stuff going on in that in that world, even though, you know, these government health institutions have a history of, of dangerous and reckless behavior. Um, they seem to, you know, try to find cutouts to avoid um, congressional scrutiny. And, and he seemed to be an integral player in that mess. Of all the decisions, Jordan, that have come down from the health bureaucrats during this, in retrospect, I mean, which is the one that you find the most egregious, whether it's the suppression of the lab leak theory, the enormous about face on masks, the uh, lockdown mantra, all this stuff, which is the one that for you is just the most inexplicable and de and destructive? Yeah, it just had to be the lockdowns and the messaging about the lockdowns and the confidence they expressed when they were really just um, winging it the entire time. And, and that's, you know, the most disappointing thing is how much damage they did to our global society because they expressed false confidence and really had no idea what was going on. I mean, we've been talking about this for so long that the lockdowns, um, had never been tried before on this scale in, in, in human history, and it was all based on a you know Chinese communist model out of out of Wuhan, China, and it was so destructive. And countries are still attempting lockdowns to this day. Australia just went into another lockdown. It, it's just it, the lockdowns I think have been by far the most damaging because it, it shuts down the economy, it creates um, you know a paranoid society, and, and it. It, it's going to take so many years to recover from that that, yeah, it's got to be the lockdowns. Do you think we're ever going to really find out what happened with this virus in the early days? I mean, do you think we're ever going to find out where it really came from and, and what the Chinese Communist Party did uh, to make sure that the world didn't know where it started? I hope so. And, and the role of social media in, in censoring these voices who were trying to talk about this, you know, there was a lot of legitimate expert virologists and um, you know other scientists in in biological fields who were trying to identify you know if any of this stuff was genetically engineered and and whatnot and and I think it's time to you know get these people back into the spotlight uh, unfortunately you know these these Facebook Twitter Instagram folks basically like censored these people out of the conversation and um, marginalized them completely so we need to you know, elevate the voices of, of actual experts who can get to the bottom of this stuff. Jordan Schachtel, everybody, he's been on this for the whole time, from the very beginning. One of the few voices willing to be brave on this, because if you wanted to be correct, you had to be willing to go against the Fauciite consensus. Go to substack.dossier.com uh, for Jordan's latest. Jordan, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Buck. There was an email on April 16th, an email exchange between you and NIH Director Francis Collins. The email sent to you said conspiracy theory gains momentum. And this, again, was the idea of the lab leak. Those emails, though, as you can see on the screen or I can see on the screen, was all redacted between you and Francis Collins. Yeah. Do you happen it, to remember? It, you know, do you remember? John, what was email? <laughs> John, they only took about 10,000 emails from me. Of course, I remember. I remember all 10,000 of them. 
Give me a break. <laughs> so, but to be clear, you're saying you don't remember or you can't tell us what, what was in no, the body of that exchange. I, I, I don't remember what's in that redacted. But, there, I mean, the idea, I think, is quite far-fetched that the Chinese deliberately engineered something so that they could kill themselves as well as other people. Uh, I, I think that's a bit far out, John. That's not what most of the people who are pushing the lab leak theory believe happened. But see, this is a, a version of what we've seen before from Fauci. Avoid the avoid the main argument by by uh, attacking these diversionary arguments. It's not that the Chinese intentionally released this virus in their own population first and, and then hope that because China has a billion people, they were going to come out ahead of the rest of the world, right? I mean, that's actually not the argument. Now, some people may be arguing that, but what, what many of us are saying is China was involved in doing this kind of research. It was uh, a place that the facilities, as we know, had already had leaks in the past, four leaks, I believe, that after the SARS scare, where you had about 700-plus people die globally, but that was, if you got SARS... Uh, you were in very, very dire situation and a much, much higher mortality than what you had from COVID-19. Uh, but the SARS situation created this sense of urgency for the need to study these kinds of viruses. And so what we're saying is that they were studying it and then it got out and there was gain of function research going on. So they weren't just they didn't just collect viruses and look at them and try to understand them. They collected viruses and were toying with them changing them and then one of those viruses that does occur naturally in nature got out of the lab and then spread all over the world and killed millions of people that's the the basis of the theory but you see what fauci wants to do is tell everybody oh they're they're just these crazy people out there who are talking nonsense there, there's just all this absurd stuff why should anything really in these emails be redacted Think about that for a moment. This isn't this isn't the CIA. They're, they're not worried about sources and methods. Why are there redactions in these emails from the the NIH, uh, you know, head of NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, which is under the umbrella of the National Institute of Health? Hmm. Well, Fauci is just full of it. He's, he's skating all over the place here trying to, as you know, I always say, evade accountability. Here he is on a, something near and dear to my heart. It's all talk about masks in these emails and how mat, basically mocking the notion that masks are going to save you from COVID. I mean, it's really not. It's just which we all know, right? Masks, they don't really do anything. Can we finally I love that we can finally say that without everyone freaking out. I mean, we say they don't do anything. You know, you may you may prevent yourself from, you know, getting wet if you go out in the rain by holding a Coke can over your head. But is that an effective means of stopping you from getting wet in a rainstorm? Right. I mean, at, at some point, it's just it's just dumb. It doesn't work well enough for anyone to care. And I think that's where we are with cloth masks against this aerosolized virus. But here's Fauci on that point specifically. Play 12. Well, you know, John, let's get real here. If you look at scientific information as it accumulates, what is going on in January and February, what you know as a fact, as data, 
guides what you tell people and your policies. If March, April, May occur, you accumulate a lot more information and you modify and adjust your opinion and your recommendation based on the current science and current data. So, of course, if we knew back then that a substantial amount of transmission was asymptomatic people, if we knew then that the data show that masks outside of a hospital setting are actually do work when we didn't know it then, if we realized all of those things back then, of course, Mm -hmm. you're asking a question, would you have done something different if you know what you know now? Of course people would have done that. That's so obvious. Where's that data, Fouch, on the masks working outside of a hospital setting? Where's that data? Oh, you mean the lab studies with spray bottles? Yeah. Laughable garbage. Criticizing um, such things as the 1619 Project, you know, which tends to put that date as something uniquely American. Um, There was... A lot of slavery going on around the world in, in the early 1600s. Uh, we fought the Civil War in order to put our original sin behind us. Uh, we passed the Voting Rights Act in 1965 in order to further enfranchise minorities in our country. It's been a long arc of trying to improve race relations in this country, but I think trying to completely denigrate and downgrade. Uh, American historical moments like 1776, 1787, 1965, critical moments uh, is is a mistake. But I don't think the government's any better at uh, prescribing what ought to be taught than the universities themselves. But they ought to be open to criticism about what they're doing. So what exactly is Mitch McConnell saying about the solution here? He he identifies when it comes to critical race theory much of the problem correctly. He un, he understands that CRT seeks to minimize, you know, the same way they accuse people of minimizing the role of slavery in in America from its origins and the 1619 project does exactly that. Uh we can say well the other side minimizes that we had a civil war in this country. A, a brutal, bloody civil war that killed hundreds of thousands of Americans, wounded many times more than that, grievously wounded people, lost eyes, legs, arms. And, and we fought a war to end slavery in this country. And then it, after that went through a, a century or so of uh, continued effort to make real the promise of equality fought for um, by the Union in the Civil War and... We're just told that by by CRT and by the 1619 Project, not enough, not enough, not even close, not acceptable. America is a racist, bad place. Really? Mitch McConnell pointed out that there was a lot of slavery going on in the world of the the 1600s. That's true. In fact, one of the uh, places with the longest reach when it came to the slave trade were the Barbary states of North Africa. This is something that is often not taught at all in schools, in fact. You want to talk about something that is uh, that is edited out of basic history for people. We fought our, for, our first foreign war against the Barbary pirates, right, to the shores of Tripoli, 
because President Jefferson had had enough of our people, Americans, being enslaved by Muslim Arabs in North Africa, taken off of ships. The men worked to death and the women used in sexual slavery for harems of wealthy Muslim Arabs in places like Tripoli and what is presently uh, today, Algeria and Tunisia and Morocco. Right? Th- that was going on for hundreds of years. Straight up slavery, the Muslim slave trade of European Christians and American Christians was what was happening. And they went as far as these slaving uh, raids or sla- slave raids went as far as uh, Iceland, Ireland, all up and down the coasts of Italy and Spain. They would seize white Christians and put them into into slavery. And in fact, they often were worked in mines in North Africa until they died. And they died rapidly because of the absolutely horrific conditions. And the women were taken and prized for uh, for sexual slavery in the harems. That's what was going on for hundreds of years, friends. You, You don't often hear about this, do you? This is not something that's really taught very much. But it's true. All throughout the 1600s, all throughout the 1700s, this was reality. And the Ottoman Empire, which is often talked about by uh, by leftist historians as this, you know, great and sophisticated and powerful, was powerful, and it did end up uh, accumulating a lot of other cultures' knowledge and and advancements. You could call it cultural appropriation, if you want, including the Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Orthodox Christian Empire that came before it. But the Ottoman Empire was built as a slave empire. Does, does anybody w- want to try to go back in history and, and look at this and, and come to a different conclusion? I, I welcome them to try. Massive slave trade from the Muslim Ottomans. Uh, the slave trade existed in sub-Saharan Africa. Be, uh, at the time of the transatlantic slave trade. And in fact, as we know, the, uh, the white slave traders who would show up along the, the West African coast of what is uh, today the coast of, well, coast of West Africa, including places like Nigeria and, uh, and some of the smaller African states alongside it, uh, they, they would use the existing slave network inside of Africa where tribes would enslave other tribes. And then they would be sold to the white transatlantic slave traders in what is unquestionably a horrific, inhumane, deeply immoral practice. Uh, Many, uh, well, I I can't even tell you the numbers, there'd be estimates, but a large percentage of those uh, those enslaved Africans died in uh, in transit, held in in just the most disgraceful conditions imaginable. Um, So this, this is just to say that these are horrific things, they should not have been done, But human beings have been terrible to each other for a long time. This is not new, and this is not unique to America. So if we're really going to talk about this, if we're going to discuss the history of slavery and oppression, let's really discuss it through history and and all over the world. The Aztec Empire, you'll often hear about uh, how the the conquest of the Americas involved the, the terrible treatment of the indigenous population here. 
right? And now you have this new new term that is meant to bring greater attention to indigenous populations, BIPOC, right? Black, indigenous people and people of color. Well, the indigenous population in the Americas was, when you're talking about the Aztec empire, for example, they were not only engaged in massive slavery, enslaving tribes and treating people like property, but also massive human sacrifice. So we're going to talk about morality. You start to look at what's going on here in places. And remember, we're talking about 1500s. We're talking about 1600s. We're talking about periods of time here that are roughly equivalent. You could go back in into slavery in the Bible and the Jews in Egypt. And right. There's a reason why throughout history, when you look for slavery, you find the Roman Empire built on slavery. This, you know, human oppression of other humans has been a constant. In this country, we actually had, thanks to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, thanks to the basic framework of our government, we had the, the beginnings of the end of human bondage and, and slavery put in place here. It wasn't as fast as we wanted it to be. It wasn't as fast as it should have been, right? And that's, it's understandable that we can go back and say that we wish this had moved along um, much more quickly than it did. But to ignore that process and to pretend that there haven't been tremendous sacrifices made um, by many people outside of the minority community. Isn't it fascinating how you, you never get to say in, in this country, you're, you're told uh, under critical race theory and the 1619 Project view of America, you're told that you, there's a degree of, of guilt that you have just by nature of being white. Right. You, if you're white, you're part of the oppressive class in America. This is central to critical race theory. This is central to the teachings of of the um, deconstructionists like uh, Derrida, these far left intellectuals. I mean, really, if, if you go back and see, you, you can trace critical race theory to those who believe in who are putting forward moral relativism and the fashionable Marxist philosophies of European professors and European intellectuals from the 1960s and the 1970s. That's where we get all this critical race theory teaching. It's really the, the beginnings of it, the origins of it. Um, and then critical race theory just tries to codify it into law. Critical race theory takes it a step further and says, well, we're going to explicitly pursue political power as a component of this. And uh, that, that's where we currently are. But you'll notice that it's, it's never something you can say, well, you know, my, my ancestors... My ancestors fought in the Union. You know, I, I lost and some of my some of my ancestors died fighting to end slavery. So do, do I get if I get the downside of being white in America today under the description of race relations forwarded by critical race theory? Do I get to make a case that, well, my ancestors actually some of them gave their lives fighting against the practice of slavery? Does that? No, no, of course. And then you get into why am I even being held to any standard based upon my ancestors? You should not hold the son guilty for the sins of the father. You certainly shouldn't hold somebody guilty for the sins of their great, great, great grandfathers. And yet, does CRT grapple with any of this? No. It is racial Marxism. It is meant to tear this country apart and elevate uh, the few at the expense of the many. Elevate those who run the apparatus 
under the pretense that they're helping those who are oppressed, but really they just want to be the ones doing the oppressing, right? Otherwise, explain to me what Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and, and all these prominent Democrats, what do they think they're really accomplishing with this? At the end, it's just about power. It's certainly not about an accurate reading of history. That's fine. I'm all for an accurate reading of history. I'm not for the politicized and uh, an exaggerated version of specific points in history meant to justify abuse of constitutional rights and equality under the law today.